It's a dark and stormy night here at Pod People headquarters, and seems like a good time to do some mad science, don't you think, boys? Because we are America's youngest podcast, the Pod People. This is a nice boy. This is a good boy. A mother's angel, Matisse Van Rossum. I'm Abby... Abby Normal? No, I, I read that label wrong. I'm sorry. I'm Ben Sheets. And I'm Cleveland Mosier, and I don't know about you guys, but I kind of fancy a roll in the hay. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> well, this week we are uh, taking it back to the year 1974 to talk about Mel Brooks' classic comedy spectacular, or spooktacular, you could say, uh, Young Frankenstein. Young Frankenstein, it's however you want to... Frankenstein! Uh, of course, starring uh, Gene Wilder, Madeline Kahn, Marty Feldman, Peter Boyle, Cloris Leachman, Terry Garr, and Kenneth Mars. Uh, usually I don't list that many of the stars, but they're all so important in this movie. I think that they... Uh, Everyone deserves a they listing. They deserves it. Uh, yeah, and it's the story of the uh, grandson of Victor Frankenstein trying to repeat his grandfather's legacy and return life to the dead. Cleveland, this was your pick. Tell us about young Frankenstein, Frankenstein. Well, uh, I mean, honestly, you summarized it well. Apart from that, I think just cherry-picking fun scenes uh, is really all I had in mind for this episode. Uh, well, why did, I guess, uh, why did you pick it? What is, what, what significance does this film have for you? I grew up watching this movie. Uh, I had it on VHS and would just run it back to back. Uh, I can still quote pretty much the entire film I found after not watching it for pretty good, you know, five years or so. Uh, uh, still. It's very quotable. It's extremely yes. quotable. Pretty much every line. Uh, and yeah, it's just always been a, a treasure to me. I, I saw it before I saw the original. I just, I grew up watching Mel Brooks movies and I'm always happy to talk about something upbeat on the podcast. Um, of course I'm always happy to talk about something macabre, legitimately macabre and dark and morbid as well, but horror, uh, is not. Uh, hasn't always been my like identifying genre, you know, like my my personal like we like, forced it part. upon you. <laughs> um, and and I, I think that that helps me allows me to bring a different perspective to the podcast. But I also like to bring in something outside of horror every once in a while. Well, uh, I, I appreciate I, can. I appreciate that, too, because while I uh, do enjoy comedy a lot, I have a hard time talking about comedy. Um, for me, it's harder to analyze than uh, drama or horror or something else, because so much of what I enjoy about comedy is just like, that bit was funny. Ha 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 ha. Well, that bit was funny, too. It's funny how <laughs> explaining a joke makes it much less funny. <laughs> right. Yeah, I would definitely recommend watching the film before we just ruin all the jokes for you. Uh, definitely, if you haven't seen it. But for me, what I'll, what I'll say about that in comedy is, well, my, my first published work was Castle Battles. And, like, that's a comedy game. Like, I, I have a, a, a pretty deep love of the genre and will we'll often seek it out. Uh, before horror, even. Uh, I, yeah, I, I love comedy. And I've even done a little improv at the pit in uh, uh, New York uh, on a guest night. Oh, and by that, I mean I was picked out of random from the crowd for two minutes, so it's not actually a brag. Um, <laughs> but I do I do love the scene. And 
Hold on, no, redact that. I don't love the scene. I I I, I, was I, say, I experienced it comedy, briefly for a moment and improv thought it was comedy fun. is like the lowest uh, form of comedy. Riffs, on the other hand, is yeah. the highest form yes. of comedy. And the the line that separates those two is razor thin. Yeah, I think yeah, I think that there there can be like very good improv uh, that that breaks out of the genre um, and. Some of like some of the best moments in cinema were improv. Oh, well, um, there's a difference between improv and ad libbing. Saying something funny that strikes you on the spot. There's a lot of that in this movie. A lot of like the best bits are actually ad libbed. But like improv comedy is like a is it, it has like a formula. I think that people are trying to follow, like the yes and thing. I think that that's different than just saying something funny at the end of a line and seeing if it sticks. You so know? it is. I think I think the big problem with or uh, that improv faces is that bad improv is particularly bad. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. It is designed to be cringy at that point. Like when when improv is not good, it is uncomfortable and stomach churning. In in only bad ways. So I think that is probably the biggest aspect that has a saying, like, it's the worst form of comedy. But when it's good, like, it's great. Like, good ad, it's really good fun. Good ad-libs good. Um, like I said, there's a lot of good ad-libs in this movie. Yeah, and, like, it's an art. It's an art, It's a, and it's a difficult one. But anyway, uh, I, I do love it, and I love comedy in general. I find that comedy and horror are very similar. The mechanism of fear and laughter... Uh, I think is built up the same way. It's just that the punchline is often different, and that sort of separates the two. Uh, both require a realization, um, like a setup and a realization. Horror can often be a subversion of comedy, and vice versa. I think that you kind of need both of them, and they they sort of they coexist very well. Well, what's what's the saying? Comedy is just a combination of tragedy and timing. Is that is that Something how that like saying goes? You know, and I, I, I think that's a really good point you make. I think they are very similar, especially in that they're both participatory genres. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, well they said. both beg for either laughter from the audience or fright from the audience. And a lot of times in sections of the both genres, you know, if they don't elicit those responses, they are kind of a failure. You know, and I won't say every movie that fails to be scary or fails to make you laugh is a bad horror or bad comedy. But I think in the most broad sense, those are usually the aims. And then you have the unintentional comedies. Yes. The ones that are not supposed to be funny, but are extremely funny. Yeah, well said. I I agree. Um, I think that's why bad horror is so funny expound upon that well i mean it's it's that simple idea like like the when the execution flops it becomes funny again when when something is supposed to be horrifying and ends up being a dud there could be something really funny in that yeah and i think i think what's interesting is the evil within yeah what's interesting is i find bad horror much more engaging and entertaining than bad comedy i agree i absolutely agree i don't know why Maybe you guys have some ideas on that. Because bad horror is still comedy. Bad comedy isn't horror. It's just bad it's comedy just, is embarrassing. Yeah, exactly, and it just becomes cringy. Maybe it's that kind of improv thing where, like, <laughs> improv, you know, it's inherently off the rails because there's no guide. So if it's bad, it just seems like a mess. Bad horror, you know, at least you can laugh at the ineptitude because they're not trying as right. hard to make you laugh. 
It's because they're trying to scare you, but how badly they're failing makes you laugh. But with comedy, they're trying to make you laugh, but how badly they fail <laughs> just makes you uncomfortable or irritated. Like, I get, I can get really, really mad at, like, bad comedies. Same. Because, like, ugh. There's nothing worse than a film that smugly thinks it's making good jokes, but they don't land. Well, and yeah, that's part of it. Like whether it's improv or not, like if, if a joke doesn't land, like, and if it's like a, a written joke, like if it's crafted right. and it doesn't land, it's just dumb. You know, it's just, it's poorly written. Whereas like horror when it's poorly written is funny or can be at least, mm -hmm. you know, it gives you agency over the fear when it's not fearful anymore. And there's laughter in that. Uh, whereas, it not being funny isn't scary. It's just, it's just, it's just frustrating. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just idiocy. And I, I love dumb comedy, but done well because that's an art too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I think that uh, this movie has a lot of dumb comedy in it that is still very funny. Physical comedy, and I don't think that. Yeah, yeah. I, we've been talking about like what makes bad horror and bad comedy, and I think this film is a great example of uh, how to do those things right because this movie is not bad. Physical comedy yes. is can be can be one of the hardest also to master because it requires like such grace and strength as an actor like it's 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 ballet like you're you're doing a like like a full-on well physical performance uh mm -hmm. so there's there's a lot to be said for that in the same way that being a stuntman is like yeah but it it does have more than just like a a vocal delivery involved i was i haven't seen this movie since i was a kid like uh probably 10 or so and i was surprised how much of it I still found legitimately funny. It's fucking hilarious. Um, yeah, it's great. Just because, like, slapstick is so tropey and, like, this movie is so quoted and is so part of the, like, comedy horror culture. You know, it's one of the most famous comedy horror movies of all time. And, uh... I still laughed a lot. Even the, the, the same old bits that I knew to expect are still really funny. It's okay. Here's why Mel Brooks's films last as well comedically as they do. We can get into or or not get into uh, some of the more like problematic elements of Mel Brooks from like a, a dumb modern perspective. But like, what's the point? No, yeah. I, I don't want to. But one of the reasons I think his comedy is still so effective today is nearly all of his films are genre pieces. They all they all play off of something that is like already from a different iconic time. They're they're spoofing things pretty much mm -hmm. always, right? Yeah. Whether it's whether it's Star Wars, Frankenstein, Sherlock Holmes, Robin Hood, etc. These are all already things that are iconic and known. So they're never dated. They're always things that people will be familiar with till the end of time. So these films will always last, and I I, I love that. I absolutely adore that about them. Now that being said, like I think that that's not a, a necessary qualifier, but it definitely helps. But and I think on top of that, you know. Mel Brooks clearly has such a love for the genres he's spoofing, uh, you know, especially you when it to. comes to this movie yeah. and 30s and 40s horror, Frankenstein, you know, All of and the, the likes. Yeah. Movies, yeah. And it's so clear in terms of the style of this movie, the sets, yeah. the editing. Um, it's so clear that he has such a respect for the genre that I think it makes things funnier. And on top of that, in terms of timelessness, I think a big part of it is because slapstick comedy is so universal. You don't have to have a deep cultural knowledge to 
find yeah. slapstick funny. People falling over and breaking things will always be funny. Yeah. It's yeah. Punch and Judy shows. Like yeah. it is it is the most accessible for children as well. Well, you mentioned uh, like how well this film like achieves the aesthetic of the films that it's like satirizing. They did actually have a lot of the same props of the Frankenstein, uh, the Universal Frankenstein. They movies. say so in the credits, which yeah. is really neat. And I looked, I looked that. Oh, up. good. I'm glad you did. Um, yeah. So uh, apparently, the guy who built all that stuff was a dude named uh, Ken Strickfaden, Strickfaden, who did not actually get credited in any of the original. Uh, Universal Frankenstein movies for all of that that cool electrical lab equipment he built, and he just had it all sitting in his garage. When they were in pre-production for this movie, Mel Brooks like found out that that dude was still alive, and he went to him and he was like, hey, I'm making a, a spoof of Frankenstein. Can I use these props? I'll credit you in the film <laughs> like you didn't get for, for Frankenstein. And uh, Strick Fadden was like, yeah, sure. Totally. Awesome. So for like the whole lab set and everything, those are all the old original props from the James Whale films, which yeah. is, I think is a really fucking cool touch. It really is. And I, I love I love the original Fra- Frankenstein, too. I, I grew up watching those as well. I've and... only seen the original and Bride. I've never seen the other couple that Universal did. Yeah, the Frankenstein ones. Too. Oh, there's a bunch of them. Oh, yeah, there's there's like like stepson of Frankenstein and all kinds of shit. Like uh, <laughs> it, it goes on, but uh, I mean, I mean, mostly just like the iconic monster films: the yeah. Mummy, the original Mummy, Wolfman, uh, Wolfman, of course, uh, Bela Lugosi's Dracula. Like I adore those films, and I almost picked uh, Abbott and Costello uh, meet <laughs> Frankenstein instead of this film, and I might still one day. But uh, I'm really glad you I'm, did. I'm going to pace it out. I, I won't. I won't do it soon. But uh, I, I might still. I might still pick that one at some point. And I, because I, I grew up loving that one too, because it, it features like Boris Karloff and a bunch of the others. I think. I I mean, there's nothing stopping you from doing. It's got Bela There's nothing stopping you from doing any of those early Universal monster movies over Abbott and Costello. The only one we've talked about is is the Invisible Man. Well, you could do Frankenstein or Dracula or the Wolfman. It doesn't have to be Abbott and Costello. <laughs> oh, and, and I will, and I'll probably be doing it before Abbott and Costello. But also, the panic in your voice gives me strength. <laughs> <laughs> I am not the one who picked the Greasy Strangler. Hey, no, but it's still our best episode. Out, don't take it out on me. <laughs> I love Abbott and Costello. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so there, there could be, there could be something to that. But anyway, we've we've digressed uh, on a fun tangent. But I love those films, and it it really does capture that same spirit so well. Uh, you 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 could hardly tell that I know it wasn't shot. During well, and you know the thing about you know bringing the original set pieces and uh, props back from the the '30s films is it doesn't seem like a huge deal at a first thought, but when you think about it. Keeping those props for 40 years and having them in good condition for yeah. a new movie. I wouldn't is... be surprised if they had to do a little bit of maintenance on them to touch them up, but still, yeah. Still, like, you don't see that nowadays. You don't see them yeah. pulling things from the 70s and 80s back in the same condition. Well, it's crazy. Oh, yeah, they it's, used to do it all the time. It's too. crazy that this that this guy Ken Strickfaden like just held on to them and just left him put him in his garage for 40 years. The fact that he owned the physical props that Universal wasn't trying to be like, "No, they're ours." You know, like that in itself I think is Oh, they didn't give a shit back then. Like that's that's one of the fun things about like that's, that era that is, of like Hollywood of is, Hollywood magic. Like yeah, they they gave no they shit. They were playing it really fast and loose back yeah. then. <laughs> 
those days. <laughs> I like to imagine it was partially out of spite because he wasn't credited. Oh, he yeah. He was like, yeah, I'm going to take my bone and I go mean, home that, with it. That was probably the argument that he used if they did present an argument over it. It's like, I made this shit. You didn't put my name in the credits. I'm taking it. It's mm-hmm. mine. I built it. Oh, yeah. And like like productions well up until, I mean, today in some cases, too, uh, can, can be a real mess. Yes. Like, uh, <laughs> shit just goes in that respect. Yes, it does. As a matter of fact, um, my grandfather's tools disappeared on the set for, uh, oh, what is it? The third, uh, sign? What is it? What is the, that alien film? The, the signs? No, not that one. The Close encounters of the third, third kind. kind. That's the one. Yeah. Uh, his, his tool, his toolkit went missing cause they filmed it like nearby or some shit. Oh like, yeah. And somebody just stole his tools. Yeah. Wow. I need to check it back with my family and confirm those, uh, those facts, but fun yeah. little, fun <laughs> little detail. Uh, but yeah, that sort of thing uh, seems to happen all the time. On film sets. But no, yeah, back in the day, they definitely played it fast and loose. Well, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about uh, Gene Wilder, uh, who oh, yeah, no, plays uh, Frederick Frankenstein. Bullet. I mean, also, I think part of the reason that so many Mel Brooks movies are so funny is the inclusion of Gene Wilder in yeah. several of them. We were saying, or you were saying, Cleveland and I agree with you during this movie that Gene Wilder is maybe one of the greatest actors of all time. Yep. Yeah, I definitely um, mentioned that like I, right off the bat. Like, I think the cre- the credits might not have even finished rolling yet, uh, and I just I had I, to bring it up. I'm very much with you on that one. Mil- all time. <laughs> Milwaukee's own Gene Wilder, maybe the best celebrity to ever come out of Milwaukee. And rest in peace, he died four years ago. Yeah. Yeah, what a what an uh, absolute treasure! I I mean, he's he's not even Mel Brooks films. He's he's just the gem of any movie he's in. Oh yeah, yeah, he's fucking incredible. He's such a good comedic actor, both in like his delivery and his physicality. And I know that this was like a big passion project for him because it was pr- I, from what I understand, it was pretty much his idea. He got Mel Brooks on, and I uh, I think that. Uh, Gene Wilder wrote a lot of the the script as well, so like this was really a passion project for him, and I think it shows. I yeah, it's also... definitely the heart of this movie yes. for sure. I was also reading today that they had to do like upwards of fifteen takes of a lot of lines because he couldn't stop laughing, so he kept ruining every take. <laughs> and it took them awesome. for, it took them fifteen to twenty takes to get one where he has a fucking straight face. But that energy just like really carries through. Like he he has he has so much life in him uh, in this movie. Uh, I mean, he, he screams most of his lines. Uh, <laughs> yes. Well, the introductory scene to him uh, teaching the the class uh, and being sort of grilled by one of his students about uh, you know whether he believes in his uh, grandfather's research. Are and, you really one of the relatives of Doctor Frankenstein? Yeah, that guy. Yeah, and, <laughs> beautifully uh, obnoxious, and, and gets in kind of an argument because because uh, Gene Wilder is just uh, he does he doesn't want anything to do with that tomfoolery. He's a man of science, not superstition. Um, that scalpel to the leg when he stabs himself in the so leg. Good. That scalpel <laughs> is one of my favorite bits. I don't even remember the line that he does it on. You might Cleveland since you've seen it so many times, but it's just like such perfect punctuation. And then the way that he kind of like just his eyes look down to it and then he like crosses his legs to hide the well, scalpel well, he, the he opens his hand and it stays there <laughs> and then closes and that like the the pacing of it is just like perfect like just uh yeah the way like he he he's like he stabs his leg on a punctuation and then like looks down opens his hand and you just you see it for a second like uh just like <laughs> stuck directly into his leg like it's 
uh yeah like like just really like masterful timing you can they, they they blocked that whole sequence out you can see it he was so good in that in all of his films uh even like uh like in Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory where mm-hmm. he he does the the limp with the cane at the beginning and then it, it turns into like a, a roll and, yeah. he, and he leaps out of it i know that was famously his idea i think it was like he demanded to he threatened to walk out if they wouldn't let him um, do that. I, oh, it was it, it was his stipulation, like whether he would do the film or not, like as if he could he could add that to the scene. It makes for like such such a such funny shit, man. I'm bad. There's a lot of Mel Brooks shit I haven't seen. Like I've never seen Blazing Saddles and it's shit great. like that. So, um, uh, but I I even from having seen Young Frankenstein or Young Frankenstein as a kid, Gene Wilder's performance has really stuck with me. Um, I think HBO recently just put a big commentary warning on the front of Blazing Saddles. But no, we should watch it sometime, man. Yeah. Have you seen Have you all seen Spaceballs? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I've seen Spaceballs. Robin Hood Men in Tights. No. no. Oh. Oh, that's that movie is a gift. I love the producers. Oh the yeah, producers is one of my favorite of his. Uh, another fun fact about Gene Wilder: allegedly, quite the bisexual. Represent, hey, uh, for sure. Uh, he had beautiful hair. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. There is there was someone recently on on an interview who who outed him and Richard Pryor for like getting up to hijinks on the sets for like one of their one of their films or something, which is yeah, they did pretty funny. A to few me. movies together. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, they did. And if you haven't seen any any clips from them, like they're great. I, I forget. There's one with them in prison that is hilarious. Stir crazy, stir crazy. Yes, that one's yeah. great. Yeah, uh, hear no evil, great. see no evil is pretty funny. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen any um, of these movies. I'm much well, more of the just, the horror connoisseur. Clearly, just imagine Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor. Like, oh, I mean, the yeah, dream match, team, match made like, in yeah, heaven, comedy right? dream team. Honestly, uh, uh, yeah. Another thing I love about that uh, that first scene with uh, Gene Wilder's character is when he they bring in the old man to show like how you can suppress like nerve actions with like the the band they wrap <laughs> around his head or whatever. And uh, uh, Frankenstein uh, Frankenstein kicks him in the balls and then leans over to his assistants like, "Give him an extra dollar." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that shit's still funny, man. That kind of, like, off-the-cuff witticisms are, I think, what, what Mel Brooks is really known for in his writing. And, you know, it reminds me of a lot of modern comedy, and I think that's why it holds up so well, is because there's such a constant balance between, like, physical comedy, dumb goofball shit, and then, like, really well-written jokes and some some ad-lib thrown in as well. Like, you get so much of it, and it's all, like, so machine gun fire. I think it matches the pacing of, like, any modern show, like Archer or anything like that. Also, worth noting other famous like Jewish comedians too that came like before Mel Brooks like the Marx Brothers there's a lot of uh, like similarities and like those like Groucho Marx witticisms for me anyway hold up very well too I was going back the other day and (laughs) enjoying some of those movies again um Shortly after we're introduced to uh, young Frankenstein. Yeah, best we get back uh, into the plot. Yeah, he, uh, he receives a, a letter or something uh, to uh, go to his uh, grandfather's castle 
in in the old country, and so he does. There's a really great scene with him uh, saying goodbye to uh, his girlfriend, mm-hmm. um, Madeline Kahn, is that actress. Uh, I was and, surprised at how much of a sex comedy it becomes at times. This movie is extremely yeah, it's, horny. It's pretty horny. Yeah. It's way hornier than I, obviously, because last time I saw it, I was a child, so I don't think I picked up on the horniness. Um, but that, that scene where they're saying goodbye is so funny, where he like tries to kiss her, and she's like, no, not on the lips. I've got, I have to go to such and such. And he like tries to like put his hand in her. She's like, no, not the hair. Just, <laughs> he goes, goes for a coat. He's like, taffeta, darling. It's taffeta. <laughs> Man, you know, it's funny. When I was a kid, like I'd fast forward the train station scene, and now it's one of the funniest to it's me. It's so funny. Yeah, it's it's so good. Because it just keeps going on, and then they're just kind of like awkwardly, partially hugging. <laughs> and it's just like, okay, bye. <laughs> and then he gets on the train that goes all the way to Europe. (laughs) (laughs) And then, of course, he meets uh, Marty Feldman, who plays uh, Igor, uh, which that bit is one of my favorites, because, of course, he does the whole, uh, you're you're Frederick Frankenstein. He's like, no, it's Frankenstein. You must be Igor. It's pronounced Igor. (laughs) Froderick Frankenstein. (laughs) Dr. Frankenstein. Frankenstein. You're putting me on. No, it's pronounced Frankenstein. Do you also say Froderick? No, Frederick. Well, why isn't it Froderick Frankenstein? It isn't, it's Frederick Frankenstein. I see. You must be Igor. No, it's pronounced Igor. But they told me it was Igor. Well, they were wrong then, weren't they? Frodrick Frankenstein. He's so great in this. I love the perpetually moving hump that he has. And every time somebody touches it, it makes a sound like they're hitting wood. <laughs> it's hollow, yeah. Yeah. He's like, you know, I'm a, I'm a, pr- I'm a great doctor. I could probably help you out with that hump. What hump? <laughs> no, like Mar- Marty Feldman is an is another absolute gem, and it is such a shame he died as young as he did. Yeah, uh, he's, just just to think like what other films amazing. he could have been in and like been incredible in. But fortunately, like, like outside, thank of God, G- like he's so iconic in this film. I think like he is sort of the poster boy for this movie. Yes. Uh, in in many ways, I mean, well, he's he's got an iconic look, first of all, but also he has so many of the best gags too. Mm-hmm. He's definitely outside of Gene Wilder, my favorite performance. I saw some weird trivia that maybe this is well known, and I just didn't know it, but apparently Steven Tyler wrote Walk This Way after seeing this movie yeah. from the Walk This Way. What? I've heard that before. Yeah, I didn't. I, uh, they were uh, Aerosmith was working on their new album, and they went to see this movie in the theaters in '74. And Steven Tyler thought it was so funny that the next morning he got up and wrote Walk This Way. <laughs> So impressionable. I love it. That's so fucking weird. Yeah, that's bizarre. Yeah, he he has so many good bits in this film. And like just his facial expressions, just his face in general is is just like beautiful and hilarious. Yeah, definitely well uh well before his time. Um he died at twenty three. At twenty three. Like, well, okay. How old was he in this movie? Uh, like pretty, like pretty close. It's got to be like unless unless I'm calculating this wrong because he 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 was born like uh, born nineteen fifty nine and died in eighty two. 
What? Yeah. Unless, wait, like, wait, can... wait, 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 wait. That would mean he's 15 in this movie. No. Well, that's not right. Yeah. <laughs> well, hold on. Let's let's double check the Google. He was born in 1934. 34. <laughs> he was born in 1934. Uh, There's a... <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. It was his spouse's. This very uh, mature 15 year old. I was gonna say, yeah. like, he died at 23. Um, How old was he? Okay, no, no, he looks like an was, old man. I was looking at his uh, his spouse's. Uh, his his spouse seemed to have died when she was 23, though. Man, he was a cradle robber. Um, yeah, no uh, kidding. But, uh, well... Well, they died the same year. Oh. They both died in 82. Oh. Mm-hmm. So 19, what did you 30, what was it? 1934. Okay, 1934. So he's like 30. 34 to 82, he was 48. Okay, so... He was like 30 when they were shooting this yeah. movie, though. That checks out. Yeah. That checks out. Yeah. Which <laughs> twenty three doesn't doesn't really check out for the film, but uh, no, yeah. So glad, it would have been about forty. Yeah, would have been about forty eight. Jesus Christ, what was that? Was <laughs> that was a journey, right? There. <laughs> I'm, I'm going gonna... from thinking Marty Feldman was fifteen in this movie <laughs> to working his way back around. But what that does mean is that when he was filming this movie, his spouse was fifteen. So there's some weird shit oh, going on there. Uh oh. Yeah. Uh oh. <laughs> Stinky. Uh-oh, what have we what have we done here? Yeah. Um moving on. Let's, put that under, let's just brush that under the carpet and uh yeah. Uh well while we're talking about great characters, uh I want to talk about Kenneth Mars as Inspector Kemp, who is another one of my favorite characters. Uh with his his uh fake arm that he whacks around to move. And his incoherent accent. And the, my favorite touch about him is the that he's wearing a monocle over his eye patch. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. I love how the 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 fake arm gets perpetually stuck. Yeah, yeah. Like that's one of my favorite bits. Is it just gets stuck in different poses? Yeah, it's almost. just like to crank. It's like on a crank, you know. And he has to like 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 a like a gear change. Like has to like keep yeah. Shifting talk about it. talk about fucking physical comedy. The way he swats his arm around <laughs> to get it into different positions is absolutely incredible. Oh yeah. One of the things that works really well about his incoherent <laughs> accent, the reason that that joke still lands, is because like the other like Eastern Europeans can't understand him either. Right. <laughs> yeah, I love I love how like vague the setting for this is because they say it's Transylvania, but like people are speaking German, but most of the villagers have British, British accents, British accents, like Cockney and, accents, and nobody times. and nobody can understand Kemp because he's, he's just his accent is too thick. Uh, it's essentially how Americans view Europe. Yes, <laughs> yes, thank you. That's exactly it. It's just like one big kind of like incoherent. Hodgepodge. <laughs> I mean, see, that's why I love comedies. You can get away with stuff like that, yeah, like, totally. and, 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 not, and turn like something like that into a strength. It's not mean spirited, you know. There's oh, nothing fucking hilarious. There's nothing mean spirited in anything in this movie. Mm-hmm. That bit 
will will always be one of my favorites like the the incoherence gag is is funny in pretty much everything from like dale and king of the hill to like the do you like no boomhauer and king of the hill yeah oh, that's right boomhauer and king of the hill thank you um and uh the do you like deg scene in like snatch as well like i just i love that like that that incoherence like well gag. that's that's a really good point to bring up because i think the part that had the part of this movie that had me laughing the hardest and maybe all of us was when uh frankenstein tries to show that the monster is not evil to the town so they do a, a performance of putting on the, the ritz, ritz. <laughs> yeah and and just like the monster just incoherently bellowing his parts of the lines is so fucking funny and i had completely forgotten about that entire bit if you're blue and you don't know where to go to, why don't you go where fashion sits? I don't know why it's so hilarious. It's, I mean, I can say, but not on the of earnestly dancing. Yes. And then when you expect something semi-normal, you get the exact opposite. Yes. You can see the like the the homage to it in Shaun of the Dead also when they do like the, I haven't seen that movie in forever. and then like the zombies wail in the background mm-hmm. like it's very very similar to me apparently like zombie stupidity the whole putting on the ritz thing was something that gene wilder demanded to have in the movie it was his idea and mel brooks didn't really like it but let them do it because he said well if you believe this strongly in it then it must be the right decision and then once they were putting it together in editing and he saw the combination of the bit with the audience just like yelling and applauding and shit that's when Melbourne is like okay i get it this is funny <laughs> yeah it's it's the funniest bit in the movie it's my favorite part for See, sure and that's that's the mark of any good director i think who are like they're a team leader and they listen like to the other members of the team you know and like like here's someone is, yeah someone who's able to say like i don't I don't agree, but I trust you as an artist enough that you know what you're doing to that I support this. Or at least to let them try it. Right. You know, and see. That whole idea of like being an auteur and like it just being your singular vision is so dumb. Apparently, I think for that that same reason. Apparently the original cut of this movie was over three hours long. I'd 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 watch it. Well, I'm glad Mel, it's not Mel but... Brooks and Gene Wilder wouldn't want you to because they they think that it's that the version they cut it down to is much better. I'm pretty sure in some interview, Gene Wilder said that for every joke we had that landed, there were three that didn't. Whoa. So uh, I I don't think I want to see the original. Well, yeah, it's kind of. I think of, I'm happy to have this. this out of version. curiosity, I definitely like. Yeah, it would seem that like this cut needs to exist. It's for a reason, kind but... of the what we do in the shadows effect. You know when you. You're ad-libbing and riffing so much. It yeah, may that's a great point. seem like it's funny on set, but once you get into the edit bay and start yeah. cutting things up, you quickly realize what is actually funny and what isn't. It's one of those things where I think having a lot of footage and coverage only helps this movie. I think I think in combination with 
the fact that Mel Brooks and everybody were having so much fun filming this movie that he literally came up with new scenes out of his ass just to keep filming the movie. <laughs> I think when you put those two tidbits together, <laughs> some things start to make sense. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, well it's probably the stuff you came up with on the fly to keep production going because you were having fun that probably didn't make a lot of the cut, <laughs> is what I would think. Yeah, the What We Do in the Shadows comparison is great. I had totally forgotten that they had they shot like 90-something hours, right? like 90 hours of footage or something yeah. that they cut down. Crazy. See, that's what I'm saying, man. Comedy is hard. I do not envy people who make comedic things for a living. So it's fucking hard. Yeah, I think like so much of it comes down to like needing a writer's room. Like in comedy, like at least for for like my my own like thoughts on like comedy production and how to do it well. Like you got to you got to have a writer's room with with a team who are comfortable just putting it out there and seeing if it lands or not. And then y'all just collectively. Yeah, I don't think or not, I don't think you can you know? write comedy by yourself. That's way too masturbatory. Oh, you need no, one, one dude no. in a room laughing at his own jokes like that's a you need a that. relentless editor as well. Also, yes, like I so think true. a lot of people respect like Judd Apatow's movies, but the biggest problem I have with them are they're all like two and a half hours long yeah and they just scream i need an editor <laughs> and it's like yeah there's there's such an appreciation i have for tight comedies you know tightly crafted funny throughout comedies yeah it's, it's an art form for sure i think it's harder and maybe i'm wrong but i think it's harder to do long form comedy like comedy films than to do like a television show like i think that's why sitcoms are successful because there's something well more, there's something no. more manageable about like doing like a tight 20 minutes I'll, I'll tell you what a lot of it is it's it's the live sets with with sitcoms one of the things that like, kept well, them going for so that. long they hardly do that shit anymore. is well anymore no but back in the day like like the the live studio audiences how you could tell if a joke landed or not right and whether you could keep it in you had an immediate gauge right there and that scraps the writer's room and like then you and then you've got more modern comedy that still uses laugh tracks even though they don't have the live studio that. audience yeah, yeah that like, shit sucks. like if, if you that if, shit sucks man. i am i am very okay with with like laughter in the background if there's a live studio audience but otherwise i'm, I'm not here for I it mean, we famously seen all of those clips of the big bang theory oh with the laugh track removed which is already a heinously unfunny show even with the laugh track but then when you take the laugh track away completely it's just yeah well it's disturbing, disturbing. Yeah, that it is, is like one of the key it's differences uncanny. Yeah. it's uncanny yeah <laughs> that can, but i think there's still like in modern comedy in modern television comedy there's a lot of really funny, very successful shows that do not utilize like laugh track or live studio audience. Well, it's it's the, it's. I think it is. It, you need one of the three. You need what a we good do in editor. the shadows is good. Yeah, always need, sunny. Yeah, you you either need a good editor, which I think also probably utilizes test audiences. You got to get other people looking at it. You have to put it out there and see if it lands or not. That's the joy of comedy clubs, stuff like that. Test your work, and I, I see like game development is very similar in this respect too. You need to like you need to test on other people, see if it works, see see what lands, what sticks, and like hone that. And good editors can do that. And then you know either that or a live studio audience or a yeah. writer's room, which is essentially the same thing but condensed. I think one really important thing for comedy Quality assurance films as well as comedy TV is a strong sense of world building. Strangely enough, I think if you have a fully fleshed out and built world for the actors to play in, the constraints can force more humor because they know the world they're riffing on 
more than just an anything goes mentality. For example, I think this movie does it fantastically with all of the period props and sets and uh, costumes and stuff. I think because they're in those characters, they know what the characters are and subverting expectations can be funny in those roles to build on that too i think i think the subversion is really important because with with like world building and comedy i think it's often funniest when it intentionally breaks its own world building uh mel brooks loves to do that whether it is um like when the the fight scene like breaks into the other studio set and blazing saddles or um <laughs> well, I think uh, or the- like like when the the boom mic drops in arrested development like there are like so many funny moments in comedy in general as well where uh, you break you intentionally break your own world building you break the fourth wall i think you're i think you're definitely right ben that especially for like satire having a kind of source material to satirize does a lot of the world building for you and I think makes it way easier because like they had for something like this they had a really deep well to pull from from like the universal monster movies of the 20s and 30s like there's so much material so much of it was tropey and it's like okay well how do we hyper exaggerate these tropes yeah. and stuff and I, I think a great comparison is you look at this versus something like meet the spartans let's say oh or a superhero movie or one of those friedberg and seltzer comedies that was such an Um, interesting period where yeah where it's just a hodgepodge of throwing everything at the wall it's not satire it's references yeah satire the the important thing with it is a respect for what you're satirizing and what you're riffing on essentially or if not a, if not a respect a an understanding, understanding. yeah exactly because you can totally like political satire like you satirize people you don't respect but yeah you have to you have to understand it and that's such a good point like those those like epic movie and superhero movies and all of those things they're not actually you know i think the first couple of scary movies were satire kind of lazy dumb satire yeah. this is something for you to well, keep I, I i give and, i credit that to the way and brothers and, yeah and, well, here's, sure. here's the thing about it right whether like you call it like world building or you just call it like texture and grip you yeah. know like like it's why concept is so important in comedy too like you can base an entire like 12 year running like sitcom just around like a simple premise the world building is very important like even if it's like modern setting and it, it's why like that idea of like oh yeah a cat and a dog having to live together in an apartment is funny can you can write that till the end of time because you have some sort of textural grip and it's enough for like people watching to latch on to to listen and for you to subvert them that's the whole idea also pop culture satires very rarely remain funny well yeah and again i think the reason it works here is because it's mostly slapstick yes you know it is a, a spoof but it's not just riffing on references to old things. And it's, it's satirizing something from sort of like a bygone era. So it's not it's like... It's iconic, like I was mentioning it's, earlier. Yeah, it's not like it's taking what would have been current trends or pop culture and making jokes about it. It's like taking something iconic, like you say, Cleveland, and, and doing that. I think that oddly... 
I, I would say that maybe South Park is one of the only enduring pop culture satires in a weird way. Well, that's because like they can put them out so fast. They can constantly be relevant. Yeah, I, but I mean even like going back and watching like old episodes from 20 years ago that are still funny, even though they're like very specifically centered around things that were happening then. That's a whole different thing, and I think there's a lot to dive yeah. into. There, I'd be curious to see like how like future show. generations feel about South Park because it's hard because like we have that nostalgia factor. So it's it's hard for me to say. This is true. Um, this is I, true. I, I'd still be happy to go back and watch some of it in a half. Uh, and, and oh yeah, I do all the time, funny, and it's but, all still funny. But yeah, but but I wonder how much of that is nostalgia factor for me as opposed to just like standing power. But I'd I'd say that like uh, while a great portion of this movie is physical comedy, I, I think that like most of its riffs. And like uh, it's 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 one liners still like stand stand as well, mostly too because like you can tell like there's a sense of awareness about dating themselves. Like uh, Mel Brooks is usually pretty good about that. Uh, some some of his stuff can be you get the occasional dated joke that might not land like so many generations on, but uh, yeah, but there's not it's it's, it's, it's there and it's gone heavy, so fast because like there's there's always something to be like it's engaged. Not by. heavily laden with uh, pop cultural references right. or you know it's even, just like good funny gags. Yeah. The Gene Hackman cameo as the the blind hermit when the monster goes to him and, you know, he just wants company, but he keeps hurting the monster, <laughs> dumping soup in his lap, setting him on fire. And then when he's out the, on his way out the door, like, where are you going? I was going to make espresso. Or, or like when they, they see the decayed heads. And it's like this, this, this head is, you know, like, uh, been dead for this 30 long. years, 10 years, three days, fresh head. And it's just Igor behind the <laughs> counter. Like, and then he starts singing, I've got no body and nobody's got me. You don't have to know the song to find that fucking hilarious. Like yeah. there's, there, there are several tiers yeah. of, of comedy in that. That's how you do like it's something that, that could be dated now, right? The song is dated. Who gives a shit? It's still funny. And that's how you do it. Like that's a primo like reference joke. Um, they can they can still be good later on. We've spent a lot of this episode talking just about the nature of comedy and what makes something funny. So not quite where I expected to go, but good shit. Do y'all have anything? Uh, I have a question for you guys. Yeah. Uh, were there any jokes in this movie that you felt like didn't age well? Whether it's just because of its age or because things culturally have shifted? Personally, I don't. I don't give a shit. I think it's funny regardless. I think if you had a stick up your butt, I could see you getting upset about uh, the the kind of forcing the monster forcing himself onto Madeline Kahn's character. Yeah, um, yeah. I uh, I I thought about this, um, and like at the beginning of the scene, I was like, "Uh oh, how's this aged?" And um, uh, by the end of it, I felt like it's okay largely only because she's her character is okay with it by the end. Do you know what I mean? It could be problematic, you know? Like, it could be, like... I feel like this was a trap. Like, the way Ben's looking, I feel like, like this like is trigger, a trap. Like, trigger warning, it could have it been somewhat rapey, but... I think that like it, it it's played off well enough that like I didn't I personally didn't have any problems with it but like I don't know as a matter of fact I thought that like the the end result of that scene is fucking hilarious that like Frankenstein's dick or the, the the monster's dick is so big that it gave her white hair the, the, bride, of the bride, bride of Frankenstein yeah. hair. That's well, fucking hilarious. Yeah. And, and then, like, and I never got that when I was a youth, and that's so funny. And then his girlfriend <laughs> leaves him for his monster. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's, that's funny, I think. That's and amazing. she gets upset when uh, they only do it, like, seven or eight times in a row or something <laughs> like that. 
Oh yeah, them just like lying in the in the hay, just like both smoking cigarettes. <laughs> uh, Frankenstein. The, the cigarettes after sex cigarette. gag is so funny. Like, They'll never not be funny. Yeah, like um, like every and they do it like several times throughout. But uh, yeah, no, all like the 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 Roland Z Hay jokes and like the like Frank uh, the the monster must have an enormous uh, stuka is like so. God damn or, funny. Uh, uh, like, Madame Blucher, and then oh. it's just a horse story. <laughs> Madame, Madame Blucher. Blucher. <laughs> yeah, every, every time, uh, that, yeah, fucking Cloris Leachman, every time somebody says her name, the horse is just uh, <laughs> Winnie in the background. That's called a callback, and it's a good one. If we're still talk- just talking about funny bits, uh, when Always. they're bringing, when they're bringing the, the cadaver back to the castle, uh, and the, the cart breaks, and the arm falls out and so uh uh frogenstein like puts his puts his arm over it to make it look like that it's his arm and the 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 constable comes along and he's like shaking his hand with the fake with the dead arm he's like oh you're ice cold it's like yes a nice warm fire will do me well (laughs) time to rate boys i think so yeah Cleveland, why don't you go first? Oh, five. It's an easy five for me. I, I have I have uh, no flaws with this film. It's it's a treat. It's a delight. God, it holds up so well. Uh, yeah, easy five. Yeah, I think this movie's great. It's a lot of fun. Almost all of the bits land. It is standing the test of time very well. And Mel Brooks is a master of comedy and his craft, and so is Gene Wilder. Um, I'm gonna give it a four out of five. I think it's definitely worth checking out. Um, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Ben on this one. Uh, I think it's still really funny. A lot of the jokes uh, still hit really hard. I was laughing a lot more than I expected. Um, I'm not as well versed in like Mel Brooks stuff and I don't have a ton of nostalgia, so I don't feel comfortable giving it a perfect score, but, um, yeah, it's going to be a four for me as well, uh, which will give young Frankenstein an average of 4.3 out of five pods. Uh, nice to do a comedy film on the show every now and then. Uh, next week we're doing a not comedic film. Um, well, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. Um, <laughs> we are going to have a, uh, a guest on the show next week. Uh, Joe Shea returning from our episode on a quiet place years ago. Uh, and we're going to be talking about the guest, which is a film that I really nice. like, and I am super excited to see and talk about again. And I hear I'm, good things. I want to see it. It's great. I'm, uh, and I'm, uh, really excited to hear some of Joe's thoughts on uh that it'll be really good to have him back on the show uh cleveland who's given us money this week oh fuck uh i mean oh right yep uh uh this week is is brought to you by damien brain get your brain in out the drain (laughs) of yep (laughs) fuck God damn it! I should have had something prepared. I, I was talking about improv, like leading up this whole time, and then and then I just like get this fucking Damien brain. Bullshit. I thought that was it's fantastic. okay. It's much, see, much. That's why you need an editor like that right there. Like, oh, uh, see, I was gonna say the other reason. It's your failure that is funny. <laughs> yes. So it's just like a, a a good bad horror movie. It is why I don't plan. Um, <laughs> your failure is what makes it funny. Good. Um, You'll get your Damien brain. 
<laughs> get, I'm, I'm on my way to get some brain from Damien Brain's drain, brain drain. Gang. Suck, suck so good that the brain is drained. Drained. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Suck so good that the brain is drained. I like that. There we go. Um, Excellent. All right. Well, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be right if we didn't end it on a horny note, huh? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, if you like the show... Hit the five stars on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a nice review. Share an episode with the friends and the fam or, you know, whoever. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at podpeoplepod and at letterbox.com slash podpeoplepod where you'll find a list of all the films we've talked about on the show with our average ratings and links to those episodes. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Deep State Ozzy. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Sheets. And I'm occasionally tweeting for Light Arc Studio as we further progress on It Stares Back. I actually tweeted today, so there you go. All right. I do tweet sometimes, I swear to God. And I'm trying to tweet a little bit more, trying to get back into the scene. So, yeah, if you want to see me stumble along as I tweet more fun indie dev uh, development stuff on our game It Stares Back, tune on in. And if you want to see some more spooky, creepy art, check out my work on ArtStation, or also you can check out some of my work on the Dread Collection Volume 2 as that continues to be uh, advertised and put out soon. It's out by now. It's out by yeah. now? Excellent. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, go go check out the Dread Collection Volume 2 as well because I'm pretty proud of how cool that game is. Um, there's some really cool devs who worked on it. Uh, I just did some art. That's all. Yeah, if you like uh, indie stuff and horror stuff, uh, definitely check out what the folks over there are doing. Yeah, Dread um, XP. They're, yep. they're kicking ass and taking names. And uh, can definitely second that. Uh, Alright, well, thanks for listening. And until next time, keep your brain from being drained. Abnormal. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Destroy my work. As your creator, I command you to come back.